watching by live stream. Very grateful you're here. I want to encourage everybody here as well to uh, share the stream. I'm getting my timer. I have a timer this morning. Make sure we're in time and on time, just like Jesus would want. Thank you so much. Uh, we're doing the Gospel of John. And uh, very powerful, another powerful chapter. Um, every book, every chapter within this book is powerful. So I'm going to read it for you, and then I'm going to unpack it for you. John chapter 5 says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there now is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And in this area lie multitudes of sick people, blind people, lame people, paralyzed people, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel would come down at a certain time to the pool and stir up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well from whatever disease they may have had. And now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew he had already been in this condition for a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be made well? And the man said to him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. And when the water is stirred while I'm going in, someone else steps in before me. And Jesus said to him, I say, take up your, rise up, say with me, rise up, rise up. Take, up take up your bed, bed. and walk. And immediately the man was made well, and he took up his bed and he walked. And the day that Jesus healed him was the Sabbath. And now the leaders of the Jews therefore saw him, and they said to the one who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And the man answered and said to him, Well, the guy who healed me told me to take up my bed and walk. And then they said to him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn within the crowd. And afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple, and he said to him, See, now you have been made well. Sin no more, lest something worse come upon you. And then the man departed and then told the Jews who it was that healed him. Crazy story, right? And so Jesus is returning to Jerusalem. So he had to go to Jerusalem, and he was in Jerusalem before. Then he was back up in, in the northern part. And the, the Hebrew males had to go to Jerusalem uh, three times a year. And so they had to go for uh, Pentecost, they had to go for Passover, and they had to go for the Feast of Tabernacles. So this is definitely not Passover, but it's probably most likely Pentecost, because everything's happening in like rapid sequence. It could be Tabernacles, no one knows, but mo it could be Pentecost as well. And so there's a cleansing pool. So Jerusalem was surrounded by walls, and it had all of these different gates, and all of these different gates were designated entry points. And there was a pool by the sheep gate. So what do you think came through the sheep gate? <laughs> sheep gate. No, you can't bring that in here. You got to take that around the corner to the sheep gate, man. You know, this isn't the, that's not the gate for this. And so at the sheep gate, there was a cleansing pool called Bethesda, which meant house of mercy. It had four porches around it, or five porches around it. So it was a big, like, colonnade. And it was a cleansing pool, probably fed by a spring. And so it was fresh water for people traveling through where they could draw water for their sheep or they could draw water for themselves. It was fresh water. And there was an angelic visitation at this pool. This is amazing to me. It's, it's, what's really amazing to me 
is how like encounter like 50% of the gospel, 50% of the Bible is encounter based. And we spend little to no time ever talking about the encounters that occur within the Bible, right? So here you have an angel that comes down, and I've read many commentaries on the book of John, and I've looked at many different people in the way that they approach the, you know, the teaching on the gospel of John, and oftentimes on how they approach Jesus on the healing of, uh, in the healings. And almost no one ever spends any time on, 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 on the subjects that are actually being presented, right? Like an angelic visitation. That would be something to consider. Wait a second, an angel came down and stirred the waters? One guy I was reading was actually saying this was a myth. This was a myth. This wasn't true. This was a myth. I'm like, how is it a myth when the guy actually is laying at the pool said, I've seen the water stirred, but I can't get up and get into water before I get before it happens. This isn't a myth. This is something that was occurring because they got, the dude was laying there and he said, I can't get up. So when the water is stirred, I can't get into the pool. And so there's these, these encounters, there's these powerful encounters in the scripture, and oftentimes we, we discount them and we ignore them for the more rational, the, the more acceptable, rational standards of our day, as if the supernatural God has stopped doing supernatural things and only does natural things. Come on, say it with me. The supernatural God only does supernatural things. His nature's supernatural, people. So when he moves in the natural, he moves in the natural supernaturally. Whatever he's doing, it has supernatural attached to it. Whether it's wisdom, that's supernatural wisdom. Whether it's counsel, that's supernatural counsel. Whatever he's doing has the supernatural. He can't be anything other than he, what he is. And so yet we think we've reduced, I call it the gospel of reduction. Right? There's a lot of different gospels being preached in the world today. We preach the gospel of the kingdom there's the gospel of reduction, where we take everything that Jesus said and we reduce it down to the level of our understanding, <laughs> and we reduce it down to the level of our acceptance. So it's, it, well, if it's, well, no, no, we got to bring it down here. So the gospel of reduction, right? There's the gospel of Narsa Jesus that tells you everything's about you. It's all about you. Jesus is just infatuated with you. Oh, it's glorious, glorious you. Jesus is on your agenda. Jesus is on your plans. It's your best life now. It's all about you. It has nothing to do with you, right? It has everything to do with him. When I lose myself in him, I actually find myself. The one who loses themselves for my sake finds it. The one who tries to hold on to themselves actually loses it anyway. So you're going to lose one way or another. You may as well lose yourself in Jesus, and then you win. It's a, that's the gospel of the kingdom, man. All the losers get a crown. Happy day. <laughs> you win. Beautiful story. So we have a supernatural God doing supernatural things. We have, to, we, have to, we have to elevate our understanding to the level of his truth. And what we do is we reduce the level of his truth to the level of our understanding, and that is wrong. That is wrong. And we literally declaw the lion of Judah. We even take his teeth out. Yeah? We, we, make, we make everything so simplistic, so socially acceptable, so like domesticated. He's not domesticated at all. This kingdom is not domesticated. This kingdom is not even rational. There's a system, there's a process, there are principles, there are uh, uh, cultures to the kingdom that when applied bring the kingdom forth, 
but it's not, it's not reduced. If you're going to do one thing this year, you're going to have to believe God for something bigger than yourself. And stop reducing Jesus to the level of your understanding. Stop reducing the, lo- the world and, and the, his world to your understanding. The church is notorious for this. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing in this passage. He's picking a fight. This passage is about healing. This passage is about God's goodness. This passage has some other layers to it. But at the end of the day, Jesus is doing this on purpose. And he's picking a fight. And why is he doing it? Because he's coming up against religious reduction mindsets the way they viewed him the way they viewed the gospel and he goes boom he goes right at it i like to tell the story my daughter loves it when i tell this story um and at one time i felt like the lord was showing me something about like even in my son and like like how jesus like he, he like we we think he's timid right we think he's timid we think he never says anything offensive we think he's always nice we think he's mr rogers right? That's how we think. He's completely the opposite. If he offends you at something he says, he doubles down on that. My son, when he was a little boy, my mom used to live in his condo, so I'd take my, my son down to, the, down to the pool, and I'd be swimming in the pool, and uh, he was, Elias is, you can't, you know, he would never sit still, so he was just like everywhere all the time, and so he, I'd be in the pool, and I'm just trying to chill, hey, you know, whatever, and my son was looking underneath one of the tables at the condo, you know those like condo pools, you know, where they have the, you know, the hard plastic tables, those, you know, commercial, and my son was looking under the table, and there was a hornet's nest underneath the table, and I could see the bees, and we used to call my son Lily, so I said, Lily, his name's Elias, but we'd call him Lily, it was his nickname, and uh, I'd say, Lily, get away from there, get away from there, get away from those bees, they're going to sting you. My son looks at the bees, all of a sudden he walks outside the gate, I'm like, what's he doing? I'm like, I don't know. And then he comes back in, and he's got a stick on his shoulder. And he goes up underneath there. He doesn't just poke it. He whacks the hornet's nest, and all the bees come out. And I'm like, run, Lily, run. And he just takes off running, and all these bees are chasing him. Uh, but, they, you know, the bees only chase you so far. Uh, they say the African bees, they'll chase you until they get you. But, like, American bees, they're more mellow. They, they only you know, chase you to a certain distance. So anyway, and I felt like one time when I was thinking about that, I thought, man, you know, the nature that you've given this kid, Lord, like this kid's like six or seven years old and he's, go- and he's whacking a hornet's nest, you know? And, and I felt like the Lord was showing me in my son that this is, the na- this is part of the nature that he has, that the Lord carries this nature. Jesus whacks the hornet's nest. He goes right at anything that is contrary to what he says. Anything that gets in the way of the love relationship, Jesus will punch it right in the face. And people will say, that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. You, you don't understand what he's doing. You don't get a point. He's healing a man on the Sabbath at a Jewish festival. This religious system had the people on such lockdown. It was a system of control. It was a system of domination. It was a system of rules and regulations that he did not authorize. And he went in there and he healed them on the Sabbath, in their face, and he drops the mic. He's intentionally stirring them up because ultimately they will be the ones who will condemn him to death. There's deep questions. So the first thing we see of this passage, when Jesus heals this guy, say it it is the Lord's will to heal. It is his will to heal. People say, well, it's not God's will to heal. Show me one place in scripture where he did not heal. One person that came to Jesus, one person that Jesus went to that he didn't heal. Show me one. You won't find them. 
He, he healed the insider. He healed the outsider. There's a lot of questions and a lot of, lot of you know, understanding that goes around that statement that I just made. And I'm not here to do an, a, a complete dissertation on this, but there's a lot. But, but what needs to be understood is you cannot come from the place that it's not God's will to heal. Come on. You can't. There's a lot of reasons why people don't heal. There's a lot of reasons why we don't see healing. There's a ton of reasons around that. And there's a lot of understanding and there's a lot of dynamics around the statement that I'm making. But you cannot say that it's not God's will to heal. It's always his will to heal. It's in, say it with me. His name is his nature. Is he Jesus? That's his name, right? Jehovah saves. So what does he do? What is his nature? If his, nature is, if his name is Jehovah saves, his nature is to what? Okay, if he's Jehovah Jireh, his nature is to? Right. If he's Jehovah Rapha, his nature is to? Right. He cannot deny his nature. He cannot deny himself. His name is his nature. Now, why we don't see his nature? Again, we take this position that God's going to do whatever God's going to do. No, he doesn't work like that. It's never been designed that way. Again, this is a rationality. This is not the construct of the kingdom, nor is it the construct of the scriptures. Everything God constructed was out of partnership. Where there was no partnership, there was no manifestation. Adam was designed to walk with the Lord, hear the Lord, work with the Lord. God never worked independently of Adam, and Adam never worked independently of God. And when Adam did work independently of God, we all know how that worked out. The Bible says it had not rained upon the earth because there was no man tilling the soil. God did not send the rain. The rain had not come because the man was not doing his part. You see the partnership even in the book of Genesis from the beginning. From the beginning. It's always and always forever. It is partnership. Partnership. So there's a lot of questions surrounding a statement like that. But you cannot, the cornerstone of all biblical thinking. So anybody here do, ever did building construction? Anybody at all? Yeah? Dave, right? Yeah, okay. So the first thing you do is you square, you square it, right? It's one of the first things you do is you square, you square where you're going to try to do. And then the second thing you do is you set a corner. So a lot of times you see these houses, especially in Miami or in South Florida, being built. And you'll see what they do. The block houses is they set the corner first. You know? You'll see just one corner being built up. And so off that corner, they build the whole house. They align the house. They square the house off of a corner. If they don't get the corner set right... The whole house is built wrong. Funky, wonky, the whole nine. Jesus is not just the cornerstone. The cornerstone of our thinking is not Jesus is who we follow and who we build upon, but we also build upon and design ourselves around a system of thinking. The kingdom is a system of thought. Culture is a system of thinking. That's what it is. World culture is a way of thinking. Church culture is a way of thinking. Kingdom culture is a way of thinking. It's really what it is. And so the cornerstone of all kingdom culture thinking is that God is good. Doesn't matter what your circumstances say. Doesn't matter what the situation says. Doesn't matter what your neighbor says. Doesn't matter what the news says. Doesn't matter what any voice is telling you. The one and only voice you listen to is that God is good. And you deny every other voice. You, the, if you don't have that cornerstone laid down and you believe that God is judgmental, you believe that God is harsh, you believe that God ignores, you believe that God doesn't care, you know, or that he heals some and he doesn't want to heal others, he wants to heal all. When, if, you can, if you cannot get that system of thinking down in your head and in your heart, everything you build will be wrong. 
And this is what happens. A lot of Christians, they begin building their house off of this idea that God's not good, and they get about you know, 30%, 40% in, and nothing's lining up. Everything about their faith is not lining up. And they stop building the house because they can't get anything to work. Well, the reason why they can't get anything to work is because the fundamental belief system is wrong. They've begun with a faulty premise. They believe, well, God does whatever God wants to do. In other words, it's a, so it's a coin flip. Is this what we're saying? That everything the Lord does is a coin flip? We're just going to flip a coin? We're going to roll the dice and see, what, see if he's in a good mood today? That's, that's the wrong system of thinking. The idea is that God is good all the time. And he's not good by your standards. And he's not, no, well, what, whatever God wants to do is whatever God wants to do. No, he knows. He, he tells us what he wants to do. He tells us. The issue is putting down a system of thinking that aligns our lives with his. And then our lives begin to align with his. So long as we think contrary to the way that he is, our lives will never align with this kingdom. You'll build things. You know, you're not going to build like too many like functional structures. You're going to have a lot of abstract half-built buildings along the way. And that's really what we see. And most people give up. They give up on the gospel and the kingdom or they, they, they go back to the gospel of reduction because they've never, they're not able to make things line up. Look, man, this king lines up, this kingdom lines up. I've been doing this for a long time. I say it all the time. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a theorist. I'm a practitioner, Right? I'm not interested in engineering. I'm not interested in theories. All those things are healthy. All those things are fine. But for me, I want something that works. I'm not, I'm not interested in anybody's opinion if it, doesn't lie, if it doesn't produce results. The Lord told me many times ago, he said, Kevin, if it's true, you'll manifest it. If it's not true, you will not manifest it. And if there is a truth, and so what will happen is you'll manifest it. If God's a healer, you'll see healing. And that healing, that little healing is an invitation into a greater level. If he'll heal at this level, he'll heal at this level. If God provides, that means he's a provider. If he provides at this level, that means he'll provide at that level. Do you understand that? Now, the key is how do we get there? That's the key, and that's the system of thinking. His ways are not our ways, nor are his thoughts our thoughts. As the heavens are higher, so is our. We have the mind of Christ. Romans 12, we transform by the renewing of our mind, Right? Church thinks the renewing of their mind is being able to recite scripture. I'm all in. Let's recite scripture. But the renewing of our mind is beginning to think like he thinks. Do you understand that? That's crazy when you think about it, that we can think as he thinks. Well, how does Jesus think? It's on the wall. Jesus thinks on earth as it is in heaven. He thinks from that world into his, into this one. He's not thinking in terms of limitations. He's not talking, thinking in terms of sufficiencies. He's drawing from that world and bringing it in. And that is the art. Say, how does that happen? It can happen. You can see it. And it will continue to grow. And it, this is, you know, again, I'm kind of going further than I wanted to go. But that's the key. So the, the issue is when I say that God wants to heal everybody and the goodness of God, there's a lot of questions surrounding that statement. There are keys to healing. Jesus told Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom right? Why did he give him the keys to the kingdom? Because Peter was given a revelation. I say, well, Peter was sacred, and Peter was holy, and Peter was the pope. Peter cussed everybody out and denied Jesus three times, right? Peter was missing a few front teeth and carried a sword. He liked to bar fight, right? Peter was a longshoreman. If you think he's Saint Peter, you don't know who Peter really was. He's a broken, distorted person who came to Christ and was transformed and renewed, and Jesus gave him keys based upon a revelation, you want keys that open doors? They're based upon a revelation. That's the idea. 
And then he told him, upon this rock of revelation, I will build my church. Upon this understanding that I'm the Christ, the living God. So there are keys to healing that are given through revelation. Understand that? There are understandings that God will give if you'll press in. I tell people when I do the healing ministry, I said, if, if people being sick doesn't bother you, you'll never see miracles. If it doesn't bother you that people are in that condition, you will not see miracles. If you are indifferent to people's condition, and I'm not saying bothering me from the state of empathy, like, oh, I feel for you. I feel for you. That's not the, that's not the place I'm coming from. I'm coming from, this is a son, this is a daughter. Why can I not manifest this? Why can this not come forth? That's, that's what bothers me, is there's something I don't know. There's a revelation that I don't understand. There's a door that I can't get through. That's the issue. You say, I don't believe that. Well, poor you. Poor you. I know it's true, because I've seen him give me revelation, and I've seen him give me keys, and I know if I have a key to that door, then I can have a key to that door. This is how this stuff works. It has to bother you. You want to see miracles? It has to bother you. Your limitation has to bother you. Your inability to manifest, and here's what we do. Well, God just doesn't want to use me. <laughs> Who told you that? Well, God just doesn't want to heal. <laughs> Who told you that? Go back to the cornerstone. Build it on God's goodness. Look at it differently. You're seeing it differently. Jesus was trying to communicate to the disciples, and he called them dull. He said, I've been with you for three flipping years, people. You've watched me for three years, and you're still so dull. You get the idea that he's trying, to, he's trying to say you should be picking this up by now. You should be understanding this by now. Another story. There's keys to healing that are given through revelation. There's also mysteries to healing that need to be understood. There's mysteries. Jesus manifests healing because you know what? He's got the keys. Jesus, Jesus, understand, Jesus brings forth healing because he understands the mysteries. They're not mysteries to Jesus. They're mysteries to us. What is a mystery? It's a question that needs an answer. To you it has been given to understand the what? Come on. Anybody know the verse? I know we don't teach this one very much. Exactly. To you it has been given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. When people want to tell me they got it all figured out, I'm like, what are the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven? You, what are they? You mean to tell me you've got every single answer to the questions of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven? When Jesus said there's mysteries to this kingdom that can be understood, it's an invitation. He's inviting you. You want to pursue me for mysteries? You want to show? And that's, a, that, that's again, that's a developmental thing. This is, this is why this gospel, this kingdom demands our life. If you want to go there. If that's the place you want to go, it takes everything you have. It literally does. It frustrates me. I want to do more meditation on healing because I know when God speaks to me about healing is when I'm with him and I begin to ponder things and he begins to correct me and he begins to direct me. But the devil knows and the devil fears and the devil understands where keys lie. Keys lie within revelation. And so you know what he does to you? He overruns you. He overruns you with the cares of this life, with the problems, you know, with everybody, not just even your problems, everybody else's problems. Good God, right? And we get overrun. And because we're overrun and all of our time and all of our energy and all of our creativity is spent trying to solve all these exterior problems or, you know, we never have any time for contemplative revelation. And the key is come through contemplative revelation. 
I know it. I've experienced it. I've seen it. And that's the biggest frustration of my life right now where I'm at. I mean, I pound the table and I tell the Lord, ur, ur, ur. I don't blame him, but I'm like, I have got to get away to get these circumstances changed. And you know what Jesus is going to do? I get, I'm 2023. It's going to turn it around. I know it. I'm going to, God is going to turn it around because his desire for me is exactly what I'm asking him for. He wants to commune with me. He wants to give me revelation. Yeah, we think God wants to commune with us just so he can stroke us and pet us and let us know he's, everything's okay. That's wonderful. Hallelujah. You know, but there's more. <laughs> there's more than getting my wounds healed, right? There's, there's more. And, and so that's another story. But there's mysteries that have to be understood. The power, of, the power of God is given to you, and the will of the Lord is with you. How do we activate it? That is the key. There, there's an expectation that lies with us that I'm just going to tell you, bar none, because I don't see this stuff happening only in little places where I see this stuff happening. The church as a whole just denies it. They just deny it. It takes too much work. You mean I got to change the way I'm thinking? Yep, you do. You mean the problem's actually me? Yep, the problem's you. And most people don't want to leave the place of comfortability and go to these wrestling places and go to these places where it's, it's but the power and the will is given. And so we accept the fact that we, we, we make these standards, we accept standards that say, well, you know, I'm going to say that God's, it's God's powerful, yes, and it. I have the power of the Spirit, and yes, and I believe it is God's will, but, you know, it's just not God's will with me. You know, we'll say some version of that, and we make these excuses rather than going towards the higher places, but that's, again, another conversation for another day. So, but it is God's will to heal, and you've got to build the cornerstone of your thinking off of the goodness of God, no matter what the circumstances say, no matter. I don't care what who says what, and who says that, and who says this, and who says that. People want to say, well, Job... We shall take the good from the Lord and the evil from the Lord. Jesus never said he'd get evil. You don't understand the story of Job. The Lord never, the, the, and I'm going to get off on Job, and I'm going to have to explain that, but I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to come back over here to my notes. <laughs> Amen? All right. So there's a lot of questions around healing. These signs will follow those that believe, Mark 16. Mark 16, verse 17. Say this. These signs will follow... The pastor, does it say that? These signs will follow the apostle. Does it say that? Nope. These signs will follow who? Would you be included in that category? Would, you, would anybody here be, if you are a believer, you are included in those who believe. They shall follow you. As you go, as you go forth, these things will occur, but you've got to press into them. In my name, they will cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. They will lay hold of serpents. That's actually what the language means. They will grab the serpent and say, not in my family, not in my life, not in my home, not in my finances. They will lay hold of the serpent. The serpent will not lay hold of them. They will lay hold of the serpent. And if anything they consume is deadly, it will by no means harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We don't lay hands on the sick. We don't see anything. Simple as that. It's not wishful thinking. It's a numbers game. You learn, you learn through experience. Now I'm getting off on a teaching on healing, which I told myself I am not going to do. Don't, you know. So anyway, Jesus gives a command to this man, right? So we have the signs, we have the power, we have the ability, we have the anointing, we have the glory, we have the will of God with us. That's another story, but we need to learn to press into that, develop it, shift the way that we're thinking. Jesus gives a command to this man. Say it with me. Get up, take up 
and walk. So we can relate this. This man is stuck in a moment for 38 years. The Bible actually gives us an illusion as to where this man's sickness has come from. Not all sickness is sin-related. Not all sickness is lifestyle-related, but some is. Jesus tells him later in the verse, go and stop sinning. Whatever, you, whatever it was that he did that put himself in that position, where he was an invalid and decrepit or whatever it was, whatever position this guy was in, he had put himself there. Jesus said, stop doing what you've been doing or this is going to recur and it's going to get worse. So while that's not always the case, you know, they asked, even the, the disciples asked, they said, who sinned this man or his father that he would be like this? And Jesus said, There's, that's not the issue here. This is just cause and effect of sin. And he healed the guy. But sometimes there is relational components. You say, well, give me an example of sickness that's, that's brought upon. How about emphysema? Can we talk about that one? Right? Did Jesus send emphysema? No. You're smoking Marlboro Reds for 40 years, and there you got emphysema. Right? Every form of venereal disease is self-inflicted. Right? Dropping your pants when you should be wearing a belt. You know what I mean? That's why they wore a belt. They were to be belted at the waist, and the priests were to be belted, and they were to remind themselves, this was, this was a truth, just true understanding, that the men were to remind themselves, dudes in the room, that they were to live by the higher faculties and not the lower faculties, right? So they weren't to be walking around like this. They were actually to really understand that they were more than an animal, and they were to live their life from the upper chambers of the heart and the spirit and the mind, and not the lower chambers. That's why they wore a belt. There's a lot of self-inflicted things that happen to us. Some sickness is emotionally caused. Some sickness comes from trauma. The body's inability to process things emotionally manifests. The body works against you. The body attacks you. There are reasons. These are all keys to healing. We have to understand this stuff. This guy's stuck in a moment for 38 years. He did something to put him in that moment, and he's been there for 38 years. There are people in this room and there are people watching my live stream. You've been stuck in a moment for 38 years. You've been stuck in a moment for 38 months. Some of you have been stuck in a moment for 38 days. Something happened to you and you can't move anymore. Stuck in a moment, right? Emotionally stuck in childhood. <gasps> too close, too close, too close at all, right? Pains of our childhood cause us to be arrestedly developed, unable to, to grow. We can't get past it. Things that have happened to us well, I'm past everything. Really? Let the trigger get pulled and let's see if you're past everything. I'm past that anger. Really? Let's push the button that relates to that anger and let's see if that anger springs forth. Let's just see. One of the things I do, I do inner healing and I did inner healing. I, this happens all the time. Oh, no, I'm past that. I'm past that. I'm past that. I'm like, well, let's just see what the Holy Spirit says. And we start pushing on it and almost every single time the person is sobbing. Sobbing. But five minutes before, they're telling me, oh, no, I've already passed that. I've already forgiven that person. I've already this. I've already that. They tell me all the cognitive things that I know. But I'm like, well, if you're past it, it wouldn't be affecting you. So you're, not, you're past it, like, mentally, but there's still something that in, within you that you're not past that needs to be healed and restored. That happens all the time. Oh, no. Oh, God, no. I've forgiven that person long ago. Oh, no, that's happened. No, no, no. I'm well past that. And I'm like, well, let's just see. Let's just see. See where the Holy Spirit goes. Let's just see. You may be right. I'm thinking in my heart, you're probably not, but you may be right. And if you are right, then hey, hallelujah, but let's just see. And boom, he lights it up. And people are looking at me, and they're like, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. And I'm like, exactly. 
Emotional things that cause us to get stuck in a moment. Failure gets stuck in a moment. Huh? Your business failed 10 years ago. You can't move forward. Right? Life. Here, I'll give you a key right here. Most people, this is a good Twitter. Most people do not structure their lives to succeed. They structure their lives not to fail. Think about that one. Most people do not structure their lives to succeed or to become. They structure their lives to not fail. Why? Because the fear of failure is always greater than the desire for gain. What we do as humans by nature is we insulate ourselves with as much protection and safety as we possibly can. And what happens to us a lot of times is that failure is so traumatizing that we can't move forward. There are people whose marriages have failed. Probably by no fault of your own, it takes two to tango. Marriages don't fail by one person. There's something, sometimes, occasionally, I can say that's true. But most of the time, there's something within the relationship that's unresolved. And people get stuck in a moment. Their marriage failed. They can't move forward. They no longer trust anybody anymore. They're too hurt. They're too damaged. They're stuck in a moment. Regrets gets, cause people to get stuck in a moment. Is this getting too close for you all? Getting too close? You're going to come up on your couch today, sit on your couch, pull up in your driveway? This is what affects us. Like the, the key to freedom. Say it with me. The key to freedom. The first key to freedom. Come on. First key to freedom. Well, we'll put Jesus up there. But the first key to my freedom, come on, <laughs> is awareness. You cannot heal or deal with what you are not aware of. Uh, denial does nothing. People think we stick our head in the sand, we deny it, we act like it's going to go away. That, that just is, it's not going away. It's not going away. It's just not what's going away. One of my favorite verses is when God told Esau, he said, you will remove the yoke from your neck when you grow weary of it. This yoke will be on you until you get sick of it. But you'll live under it. I can't, you know, that's what the Lord told him. So it was God's will to put the yoke on him. God's, just, God's telling him, it's not my will, bro. And I can't take this yoke off you without you working with me. And if you're not going to work with me, then you're going to keep the yoke that's on your life until you get tired of it. It's true. Regrets cause us to get stuck in a moment. Pain, hurt, regret, all of these things from long ago. Maybe it was last week. People shut down. They shut down over failure, over regret, over pain, over hurt, all of these things. So how do you know you're stuck when your life is not moving, when there's little to no progression, when there's pain, when the memory of an event, or you have to, every time something recurs, you have to push it out, push it out, push it out, change the channels. I'm all in on that. I get it. I understand how it works. That's how the church instructs, and it's actually a healthy way of instructing. Stop focusing on the pain, change the channel. That's good. But what if we didn't have to change the channel anymore? That's always been my question. Is Jesus a healer or is he not? That's always been my question. You know, do I have to live my life in this constant state of maintenance? You know, or can I live my life out of freedom? That's the question, right? This is the off the good grid question. And so, you know, let's say like that, you know, the pain, the pain, painful memories of your past, all of the thing or the regrets or the shame or the guilt or whatever it may be, that stuff keeps coming back. Change the channel. Focus on good things. That's, that's absolutely rock solid advice. And that's actually biblical advice. But I believe there's a higher level. I believe that we can have, be emotionally restored. I believe that we can be healed. I believe we can. I, that, that's where I come from. I'm not, I'm not against any of that. I think it's great. I probably give that advice all the time practically to people they want something practical here's something practical 
But anyway, the first key is that, you know, the first key is, is um, that your life is not, or, well, you have little to no progression. There's pain in the memory. The events and the emotions are on replay. Replay. <laughs> Alex had a recurring dream. Alex, how long did you have that dream for? How many years? You back there? Three years. He had a dream every single night, same dream. He woke up with the same dream, same dream. And the dream was so tormenting to him. Of course, nobody knows that, but he, same, this dream was so tormenting to him that he had to literally, he said he had to spend a lot of time resetting your day just to get him out of the state that he woke up in. He had to spend time resetting his day in order to move forward, right? We did, I'm not, and I'm, I'm, I am not promoting inner healing because I don't need anything more to do. But how, unless we did inner healing, did we not? Do you have that dream anymore? No dream. Gone. The torment of three years of affliction of every single morning of his life, waking up, tormented to a dream, so upsetting to him that he could not focus his life. He had to spend time calibrating himself every morning. Gone. 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 What caused the dream? Well, we healed the we healed the wound. We healed the trauma. What caused the tormenting dream? Yeah, we healed that point. We found the root. We find the root. Devil does nothing but by but by but by right. He cannot manifest anything except he has the right to do so. He just not. He isn't walking around just going ooh 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 ooh. He came. He claims rights. And from the right, he manifests. So there was wounds. There was some, I don't know what it was. I deal with a lot of people, but I don't know what it was. That what, what the, you don't need to tell me, so I was going to feel obliged to tell me because I'm looking at him. You know, you, you don't need to tell me. But, the, the, but whatever that was, that was healed. That was restored and is gone. It was gone. And we weren't even specifically dealing with the dream. We were dealing with issues surrounding the dream because the dream is a prophetic narrative. So we take the dream and we understand the prophetic narrative of the dream. What is the dream saying? Where's the healing within the dream? And then we take, we, this, this high-level stuff, dude. I don't think you guys are looking at me like, oh, I've never heard anything like this before. This is church, bless God. We don't talk like that. Jesus does. The kingdom does. Restoration of the soul, Christian. The healing, what is restoration of the soul? Let me ask you that question. Now, I'm not talking about the healing and the, and the forgiveness of the spirit. Your spirit is a different part of you. Christians always want to talk about this. Our biggest problem is not our spirit. Our biggest problem is emotional damage. The emotional damage that affects our thinking that creates compulsive behavior. That's how the game is played. That's why you do what you do. Because you have compulsive, you have wounds that create a system of thinking that create compulsive reactions. And that's another story. But that's the system. It has nothing to do with spiritual. It has everything to do with emotional. And the emotion is the soul. The emotion is not the spirit. So when Jesus is talking about the restoration of the soul, he is not talking about your spirit being born again. He's talking about the renewal of your soul if it makes sense, but hopefully it does. <laughs> I'm very passionate about this subject, so. So when life is not moving, so the first key is awareness. We have paradigm blindness. We're, we're not aware of things that go on in our life. Other people are aware more than you are. I, actually, I'll, get, I'll even put it out even further. This is one of the reasons why we have a generation, we have a broken generation, why people don't want to get married it's not because we have two screwed up individuals. It's because we have two individuals that don't want their junk to be seen because in a marriage relationship, your junk is going to be seen. You're good, you're bad, you're ugly. All of it is going to be out there, right? 
And that stuff exposes things in us that we really don't like, that we like to keep hidden. I tried to hide it. I know. I, I, you know, I, I went from a shovel to a backhoe, you know, to like a bulldozer. I tried to bury, 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 bury my whole life. And then I realized I can't do this. I can't bury this. There's got to be another way. There has to be another way. There has to be. I, I refuse to stay in maintenance. I, I choose freedom. Another story, another day. Ignoring, say it with me, ignoring the problem doesn't solve the problem. This guy's stuck in a moment. If you're stuck in a moment, ignoring it isn't going to change it. He tells this guy, this guy basically starts making excuses. He says, first of all, do you want to be made well? That's the first question. He's bringing him to a state of awareness of not just where he is, but what do you want? Do you want to be made well? Most, a lot of people with their wounds, their pain, their, their, their trauma, their, it becomes their identity. And that again becomes inner healing because you create an idol out of your trauma. You build an altar that speaks beyond the voice of your father and you are bowing to a voice, a lesser voice. And that's another story. Do you want to be made well or are you just fine doing this? Is this how you make your living? You make your living off of human empathy and everybody feeling bad for you and all the excuses that you give and, oh, I never had the advantages you had and I don't have anybody around me. You know, this is what this guy was saying. He had nothing but excuses. He couldn't see what was in front of him. Jesus is in front of him. If you want to be healed, you got to become aware and then you got to, you got to stop, say with me, I got to stop making excuses. Right. People say, I don't have anyone. I don't have opportunities. I don't have, I don't have advantages. What do you have? You have the greatest thing of all, all the world. You have Jesus. Not only do you have Jesus, the way maker, miracle, make, miracle maker, right? Is that right? Way maker, miracle, miracle worker. There we go. The way maker, miracle worker. You not only have Jesus, you have the power of the spirit. You have the counsel of the holy. You need an opportunity. He makes a way where men say there is no way. He makes a way in the wilderness. He, provide, you need, he provides streams in the desert. What do you have? What do you have? You have to shift away from natural mindedness. You realize what you do have. Jesus is an active presence in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then it's obedience. I'm going to tell you just truthfully, because I'm in the people business, right? I was talking to the wedding planner yesterday, and she was like, I said, um, do you like wedding planning? She's like, I like the concept of wedding planning. She's like, I enjoy the creativity and everything, but she's like, I really don't like dealing with people. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, when you're, and I said, I understand, you're in the people business. I said, I get it, you know, I, I, I understand this. And a lot of times, people's positions and perspectives and situations are self-inflicted. He told the man, get up, take up, and walk. You know, there comes a time, ladies and gentlemen, in our lives when we gotta say it with me, wipe the tears, take a shower, put on new clothes, get up, get back in the game, and start making plays. You, you have to. You have to. You, can't, you can stay where you are. No one's moving you out of the position you are. He has Jesus in front of him. The, other, the biggest issue people have is because of obedience. A lot of people are stuck in a moment because they are something that they have not done or there is something that they're not doing. Now, I'm not saying this is the case across the board, but oftentimes there was an instruction that God gave and people have not listened to it. They just thought it was a good idea, but they didn't really want to do so. They're stuck in a moment. They, they asked God for a way. He said, this is the way. And then they said, nah, I don't want to do that. And they get stuck, right? So that's direct obedience. Then there's practical obedience that we have as Christians. 
This is the modern American church. We don't believe that we should participate in practical obedience. We believe we get to come and go as we please. We give if we want to. We don't believe that we have any value for the scripture. We don't need to read the Bible. Prayer, <laughs> Prayer, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Live on mission, well, people are going to hell. Oh, well. You know what I'm saying? This is the modern American church. The five practical, the way, the way the baseline of the kingdom is read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give and live on mission. That's basic obedience. This is what enables the kingdom to flow to and through you and actually begins to get your life moving. This creates momentum. Without that, we have no momentum. The modern American church doesn't believe that we have to come to church. They don't believe it. Jesus is at a feast. If anybody could have phoned it in, it would be Jesus. You see him over and over again at the festivals. You see him over and over again at the synagogue. Huh? You don't think Jesus wanted to go sailing? You don't think he wanted to phone it in? He could have phoned it in, but he didn't. Why? Because he's establishing for us the model. If Jesus did it, you need to do it. If the command is in the scripture, you need to obey it. I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter what you feel. We do not go, say it with me, we do not live by human emotion. Man does not live, I'll give you the verse, by bread alone. What do we live by? Every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. What is that? Logos word, written, rhema word, spirit word, and revelation. It's not just logos. It's rhema, living word, and it's revealed word, revelation. We live by that, not by circumstances, not by opinions, not by my feelings, your feelings matter, but not, your feelings matter, but they're not to dictate to you. Your circumstances matter, but it is not to dictate to you. This is the understanding. So we're stuck in a moment because of either basic obedience, we're not listening to basic obedience, or there's direct obedience. God has told you to do something, and you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it, whatever that may be. He's told you to give. I don't want to give. Okay, well then stay where you are. He's told you to come and connect to church and be a part of a community. I don't want to do that. Well, then stay as you are. It's fine. Get up, right? Then he says, take up. What have you laid down? This is another thing. What have you laid down? Gifts and callings of God are without repentance. So God doesn't change his mind, but you do. There are probably areas in your life that you've laid down. There are dreams and visions, mandates, missions, assignments God gave you, and you set them aside. You had a good reason to, but you just didn't, have, you just didn't, didn't do it. So he tells him, get up, stop feeling sorry for yourself, take up what you laid down. Just say the same principle. You see it even with um, Hagar in the Bible. She set the boy down. She set down what God had given her. And then when she began to pray and she began to call out to the Lord, the Lord showed her a provision that was, oh no, she went back and picked the boy up. When she went back and picked the boy up, she set the boy down. She set down what God gave her. When she back and picked the boy up, a well appeared that was already there. Bible says she saw a well in front of her that was already there. It was always there. She just couldn't see it because she was so self-engrossed with her own feelings and her own emotions and her own circumstances to the point where she set down what God had given her and she became blinded to the provisions that were available. Same principle here. Same principle. Get up, take up what you lay down. 
and move forward. You got to move forward. Say, I'm afraid. Yeah? Say it. Do it afraid. Right. We're all afraid. We're all afraid. Say this. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is the absence of self. I was having this conversation with Quinn, and um, there's a Greek word. We everybody know what enthusiasm. You guys know enthusiasm, right? Woo! Like I watched the Dolphin game last night, and there were some very enthusiastic people. The guy's got his shirt off in Buffalo. It's 20 degrees outside. I'm like, I'm not quite sure that's enthusiasm as much as crazy. I'm thinking pneumonia. That's what's going through my mind. Anyway, but um, the word enthusiasm comes from the word entheo, means indwelled by God. And what it actually is saying is that you were immersed in something so deeply that life, that God life comes from that. That's what enthusiasm actually means. It, means, it actually is talking about an immersion, being so in theo, being so enveloped in something. The Greeks called it divine madness. When someone became so passionate about something that they literally would lose themselves in that. Let's use it. Ladies, the women are going to get this one. How about love, ladies? Let's talk about love. When you fall in love, are you in Theo? You are immersed in that. The world, everything just changes, right? It's in Theo. We need to pick up what God is telling us. We need to become absent of self. To the, where do we, how do we become absent of self? Because you see a higher goal or a higher purpose than self. The only way you can move without fear or even move while you have fear is because you see a higher purpose that is beyond you. So long as you're the only one you're seeing, you're not going anywhere. There has to be a purpose that's greater than your life that enables you to move past where you are, or you never will, right? He had to take up what he laid down, right? He had to move on. What do we gotta lay down? We gotta lay down pride. We gotta lay down self-will. We gotta lay down ego. We gotta lay down self-exaltation, bitterness. What do we need to take up? We need to take up faith, joy, Hope, obedience, vision, right? Mandates, assignments, purpose. Why did Jesus do this? Jesus healed this man. There's all these lessons that are in this, te- in this thing. He did it because this was a religious system. And that religious system interfered with the love relationship. You wanna see Jesus go to war? He goes to war with anything and everything that interferes with the love relationship between him and his people. That's what he opposes. Anything and everything that causes a separation between him and, the in, and not just in knowing him, but in the intimacy, that's what he's against. And this religious system was a system of control, and it separated the people into rules and regulations, right? And a belief system that was contrary to what he was, and Jesus flew right in the face of it. In the New Testament, especially in the book of uh, Revelation, if you know, understand that, the letters to the churches, there are two things that the Lord is speaking of that he condemns within the church. Within the church, he speaks against it the doctrine of the Nicolaos, the Nicolaitans, and the doctrine of Jezebel. Well, what is that? Nicolao was, was systems of control, religious systems of control, of thought, right? Creating a culture that is not his culture. And Jezebel's just open licentiousness. Que sera, sera, do whatever you want, right? Literally open sexuality, right? That's really what he's talking about. And false prophetic, that they were, you know, endorsing things that were outside of God's construct, Anytime you see these things, anytime you see dominance and control and you see like an, abs- an, an absolving of morals, evil is present. Evil is present. 
These are the two things. And you see, you see it even in our governmental structures. You're not even seeing it in the church. Look at our government. Our government is running down two lanes, either to try to dominate you and control every aspect of your life, every part of your life, they want to control it. They want to control it. Or, on the other end, open up immorality. You can identify as a cat if you want to, right? You can be a boy, even though you're a girl. I mean, it's absolute, and they want to teach it to your children, and they want you to have no say-so. So there you see, the, you see both of these presents of evil. You see dominance and control where the parent doesn't matter, and you see Jezebel and the open licentiousness in your nation right now. Why? Because the church is mute and silent and afraid of what she will lose. Afraid, afraid of all of our conveniences afraid that people won't come anymore or they might shut off your Instagram account or something like that. We're afraid. We're afraid. Show me anybody who's talking about this. Show me anyone. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, I just spoke to a guy who's a wedding planner and I asked him, why'd you stop going to that church? He said, to be honest with you, he said, they wouldn't open for two years during COVID. He said, that bothered me. And then he said, then the second thing, he said, everything they teach is seeker sensitive without power. And he said, and I believe it borders on the edge of heresy. He said, they don't teach sin. They, I mean, he was right in my face. And this guy's like 30 years old. And all I did was ask him why he didn't go to this church. He said, my father was a pastor and he just went whack. He threw it down. Most Christians can't see this because it's all feely. It's all feely. It's all feely. It's all feely. And we, we absolve ourselves from the moral mandate that we are called to uphold. Doesn't mean I'm moral. <laughs> I got issues, Right? I don't do everything right, and neither do you. But that doesn't deny my moral voice, nor does it deny the right and the, the expectation that God expects of me to speak morally. He's not called me to speak politically, but he has called me to speak morally. And you. Nicoleo, Jezebel, open licentiousness. Church, don't want to get into it, don't want to say too much about it. I had a woman tell me. There was a panel of women up there, and they were talking about dating, sex, and marriage. The women on the panel, I got you, Shelly. I got you. Don't neuter me. I'm on, the pay. I'm, on the, I'm on a roll here. Don't take the power out of this. Right? This is important. Why is this important? I don't know why it's important, but Jesus seems to think it's important because he's pushing me on it. So this panel was up on the stage, and this woman tells me the story of them asking, is it okay for, and, you know, what about sex outside of marriage and stuff like that? Look, look, first of all, let me just be clear. People, I'm not endorsing it, people are going to have sex outside of marriage. That doesn't make it right. However, when the church adopts a position that that's okay, we've now entered into a realm that we're not allowed to be in. You understand that? People are going to do what people are going to do. The church is not, you know, that's just the way it is. We preach truth and call people the truth. But the church cannot adopt a position that says this is okay. This woman was telling me about a panel at a, at a seminar, and there were women up there, and they're like, well, and these are people on the stage. They're like, well, I think it's okay if you sleep with your boyfriend as long as you love one another. This is coming from the panel. This isn't coming from like a group discussion of people and the congregation kind of a thing. You know, they're actually, I'm like, from the stage, she's like, I got up and walked out. She said that was, the last, was like the final straw. She said, I heard all these different things that they were saying, and that was like the final straw. You know, and when, they won't, when we won't say things are wrong, look, it's not about the don'ts. It's about the do's, right? Follow the Lord. Stop walking in these, in these other areas. I'm already, I already dug myself a hole. So, but that's the point. You have to understand, if we want to understand the kingdom, it's not Jesus. We're not fans. We're followers. We're not fans. We're sons and daughters. 
And as a son and as a daughter, we are called to manifest this kingdom. We are called and commanded to be about our father's business. And if we are to do just that, then we must understand certain things of an expectation that our father has. And we've got to grow up and we've got to become mature believers and not candy cane believers, right? Not gumball believers. We've got to become meat and potatoes believers who are strong and understand who and what we are and who he is. If that makes sense to you. And we've got to understand that anything that creates dominance and control, but the church has waxed way over here. We're over here on licentiousness. That's really where licentiousness is, right? So you want to know what Jezebel is? Jezebel is licentiousness without morals. That's really the essence of the spirit of Jezebel. And everybody wants to say what spirit of Jezebel is. No, Jezebel is that. Jezebel is a seductress that leads, leads, leads the church into a system of thinking or leads us into a system of thinking that is amoral or against the Lord's morals. That's another thought. Lastly, <laughs> he picks a fight. They said, isn't it lawful for you to carry it on your bed on the Sabbath? They were forbid to work on the Sabbath. Jesus never told him he couldn't carry his bed. He never told him that. Your rule's not mine, right? They had created all of these extra rules upon the, upon the circumstance. And then what's crazy is that the Lord tells this man, you've been, he goes and finds him. So Jesus goes and finds him and says, hey man, you've been healed. So stop doing what you've been doing or something worse is gonna come upon you. So he says that. And the guy goes and tells the Jewish leaders. So the man experiences a miracle. He encounters truth. He has an invitation into something greater, and he reverts back to his old way of thinking. That's how strong the system of thought was. He goes back and tries to please the Jewish leaders. Jesus finds him and tells him this. The man made a choice. He had experience. He had revelation. He had knowledge, yet he chose to stay the same. This is crazy. This is actually what ends up happening. We get experience, we get revelation, we get understanding, and we choose to stay the same. It's beyond mind-blowing when you actually think about it, right? It's, it really is. 95% of all Christians will never change. They'll be as they are. I'm just gonna tell you the facts. This is data. You can prove data all along. That's why if you wanna be common, you're gonna be common. You don't have a problem. You're gonna have a lot of company. Only 5% want it. And only 5% really want to pursue and become what God has called them to be. Most of them, most believers, just so you know, so if you do actually want, if you just want to stay where you are, that's fine. You're fine. You're, you're good. You're in the warm, safe, comfort zone of the Christian experience. You're good. All good. You're loved. You're going to heaven. But if you're that 5%, you need to know you're elite. If you want the things of God's heart and you want the things of God's kingdom, you need to understand something. You're elite. You're not average. You're not common. You're not. So don't compare yourself to the average because you're not average. You're, you're, you're the exceptional. You're the cream. No matter how much you put milk and cream together and you shake it up as much as you want, you blend it, you set it on the table. When everything settles, the cream rises every time. You cannot see yourself as common when you're uncommon. Hmm? If, you like the, if you like the warm environment of the safe Christian community, that's great. That, that's, that's really wonderful. There's no problem. Church is full of campfires singing kumbaya. But I believe God is calling for something higher. This is my personal opinion, which I feel like I understand and have revelation on. So this guy had all these things. So the question is, what choices will you make? Here's the question. And I'm going to close. And we're going to do, do communion. Will you stay on your mat lamenting and comforting yourself with excuses? Where are you laying on your mat? Boo-hoo, poor me. Boo-hoo, poor me. Boo-hoo, poor me. 
<laughs> Will you stay the same? Will you look for personal compassion or com- and pity and human empathy? Human empathy changes nothing. Human empathy makes us feel good, but it doesn't produce change, just so you know. <laughs> I'm all in on human empathy. It helps me, but it doesn't change me. So I'm, I like human empathy, but I know at the end of the day, it doesn't, it doesn't produce results. Or will you rise up, take up what you've laid down, and move in a way and in a direction that you've never gone? This is the challenge. This guy heard a message, experienced an encounter, literally, witnessed an encounter. He saw the angel come down and stir the water. Then he experienced it. Then he had Jesus talking to him, communing with him, calling him to another life, and he went back to the old way. That crazy? It's insane. Why would people do that? Happens all the time. Happens all the time. Will you hear this message and stay the same, or will you be determined to change? This is the question. Will you stay bound to a religious and worldly mindset, or will you endeavor? Will you endeavor to go and change and transform your mind into a way of thinking and a way of understanding that is beyond what is comfortable to you and beyond what is familiar? Comfortability and familiarity when it comes to the kingdom is, is really those two things work against you. Well, Jesus is the comforter. Yeah, the Holy Spirit's the comforter. You know why he's the comforter? Because nothing around me when I follow him is comfortable. That's why I need a comfortable comforter because everything I'm doing with him does not feel comfortable to me. My circumstances are not comforting to me. My situations are not, that's why I need someone to comfort me because I have no comfort from anywhere else. Just a thought. Will you listen to the truth and continue to ignore it? There are people who hear the gospel message and this is for those here that have never given their life to Jesus and this is for those of you watching. If you've never given your life to Christ, today's your day. There are people who hear the gospel message, they see Jesus, they hear Jesus, they hear it on the radio, they experience it, they've been to church, I've been there, I've done that, and it goes right over their head. It goes right over their head. The Bible says the harvest is past and we are not saved. There's a verse that says that. There's a time of the harvest where God is harvesting and allowing people to come to himself. And that time is now, but that time won't last forever. The Bible talks about the age of grace and the closing of the chapter of the age of grace and things are gonna shift and things are gonna change. The believer will go on onto eternal life and will go on into an eternal world that's beautiful and wonderful and everlasting. But those who reject Christ, they go to a different situation entirely. And if you don't know Jesus today, you have an open invitation. So my challenge to you as I challenge through this message is to not ignore it. Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has risen from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. So I don't understand it. You don't need to understand it. You need to believe it. And we believe in our hearts, not with our minds. And it's a simple prayer. We're gonna pray this prayer together and you're gonna open your heart and you're gonna receive and the Lord is gonna do what the Lord said, promises he's gonna do. So let's just pray it out. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the savior and I need a savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. Come on, I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. Come on, you need it. And I ask you to repurpose my life. Some of you don't need salvation, but you need those other three things. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name, amen. Say, that's it, that's the start of it. We bless you, we honor you in every way, and we are gonna take communion in Jesus' name. Come on.